to the Mobile Mongo Podcast, where we go behind the scenes in the cheese world to chat with the people making, selling, or distributing your favorite specialty food products. I'm your host, Chanae Muha, certified cheese professional, longtime cheesemonger, and producer advocate. Tucked away in rural Washington, just 30 miles outside of Seattle, is a field of grazing dairy cows that just so happens to be one of the best butter makers in the country. Cherry Valley Dairy has rocked up numerous awards for their butters at the American Cheese Society's judging and competition, and they are a local favorite with restaurants and consumers pining for their richly colored spreadable heaven. In this episode, I chat with Blaine Hages, head cheesemaker at Cherry Valley Dairy, and he walks us through the buttermaking process and why this farm is so special. I hope you're ready to hear about some butter magic. My name is Blaine Hages. I've been a Pacific Northwest cheesemaker and buttermaker for the last uh, 19, 20 years. I think I was hired November 10th, 2003 at Beecher, Sam A. Cheese at Pike Place Market. And I started at the very bottom as the hoop breaker. Um, made, had a really good boss at the time. It was under dynamic ownership. It was a really fun time. It was just a nice upward curve of cheese making and I didn't know anything about cheese when I started and I think that's what kind of drew me to it I kind of felt cheated or why didn't anybody show me this this is amazing and it would just unfolded in front of your eyes you got to see the work at the end of the day it was hard work sweaty work early in the morning and I was like well I can deal that stuff if I can get over that hump then I can you know maybe figure out what's the next step from there um, so I was at Beecher's uh, 2003 till about 2010. Uh, then I was a, I consulted for a while for a few dairy farms, including Cherry Valley at the time. They were doing a working on a build out and trying to plan what to do next. Um, so I had a really good start because the, a lot of the equipment that was purchased out here at Cherry Valley, the butter churn was the original butter churn we bought at Beecher's back in like 2004. Um, but we stopped making butter because we kept having to repasteurize the cream that came through the door. It didn't become financially feasible. So it, we stopped making butter then like in 2005 or six. And then that stuff, equipment just sat. And then the owner out of Cherry Valley bought the equipment um, and it just sat for a while. And he was the milk driver that used to bring in the milk in the morning at, to Beecher. So I would see this person, you know, four or five times a week or the driver at the time. And so we became friends and then, the owner out here at Cherry Valley, who was just supplying milk to Beecher's, which was their original farm, um, they had plans of doing their own thing. And he just knew me from meeting me in the morning, bright and early, and thought that I was a good candidate and basically kind of just handpicked me to meet the owner and come up with a plan with him and myself and to see if it would work. And with her uh, different own her ideas too of just having a smaller farm, small footprint, um, taking care of the fields, making sure the cows are eating good food. Um, and so we're actually our first wheels of cheese, I think at Cherry Valley was like 2012. We started the refurb, uh, refurbished process like in 2010 or 2011. So it took like 19 to 24 months to get stuff together and then to you know, I had to learn the equipment probably within the month because we, we bought a cream separator from Italy. So it took probably like three months for it to actually travel 
uh, and get here. So we were kind of waiting on that for the longest time. It felt like a month and then it was another month and another month. And finally we got it. And then I just had to troubleshoot the uh, separator to get it to where I, you know, I thought it was right and just start churning butters and making cheeses and then starting to find people that enjoyed them. And actually the first person, I think it was in De La Renti, Connie Rizzo at De La Renti reached out and she's like, Blaine, I want this butter, but I want it super salty. And so we, <clears throat> the first batch I remember I made, I think it might've been in the winter. It was really cheerful. It was like dripping and I was so embarrassed about bringing it in. And I did anyway. And she was in there having a tasting with somebody else. And I put this butter down and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And she tries it. And there was a couple other people around the table that tried it. I didn't say much. And I left the sample and on the way I went, <clears throat> I didn't hear anything for a few weeks. And then I got another phone call again to, for a second attempt and finally just got it right. And it stuck. And so kind of the uh, first big customer was um, De La Renzi and making their the gray salt butter that they enjoy on a saltier version. And um, that kind of set us off in the path of where we're, I mean, heading to events, to markets, you know, getting people to like your products. We're uh, got a small crew of about, well, there's two of us right now. And we have a new part-timer on Mondays. So we have like four or five, four or five uh, full-time employees out at the dairy. There's like three of us in the creamery. And we're milking, let's see, we uh, produce Monday, Wednesday, uh, Saturday right now. So we pick two of the days is usually butter. And then one of the days is usually a cheese. Um, but right now we're just a little bit light on staff. So we're just running cream through, doing lots of butters. And so we have, we'll have a little bit of a gap in the inventory for cheese. But um, right now the cows are inside. So they're mostly eating hay from Ellensburg, some uh, haylage that we had cut from last year. Um, so you get those colors in the summer for the butter in the summer when they're out grazing, but you don't always get the yield when they're just sitting in the barn eating good hay. So you get some really decent yields uh, right now for butter. It kind of seems like the opposite. You think, oh, they're outside, they're out in the fields, they're eating all this hay, they're gonna bring back tons of cream. And it's actually not as, it's kind of the opposite of what you would think. They're out but there working beautiful. out. They, they, they're, they're using up their energy. Yeah, sweating and drinking tons of water. And sometimes even the, uh, the, the cream in the summertime, they're, they're chugging so much water that the butter, you can tell when it breaks that you just can't get the buttermilk out of it, no matter how much you churn it and try to beat the, that moisture out of it. And then if you add salt to it, it just even makes it tear even more. But I mean, our customer base understands what we're trying to get at and they just would rather choose that salty sunburst of bite than, you know, and just deal with it. So it's yeah. okay. With, it's okay with us. I'm glad you started talking about the seasonality of it, because I think that that is a, a key component of what makes Cherry Valley so special. Can you kind of talk about what are some of the um, elements that make Cherry Valley so special? Sure. I mean, just the cow, the fact that they're just under blue skies and on green grass as much as possible. Uh, we don't standardize anything, so we're not adding anything to the creams to thicken them to get different yields. I mean, the cows are eating grass. We don't feed them any grains or not. I mean, we don't feed them any corn in the grains. We just wanted to take that out of the equation. And actually, in the beginning, they had corn in their diet and then we took it out. And their numbers dropped for a little while and then it recovered. So, I mean, they're resilient and they got back to uh, being really good producers without the corn in the diet. Um, and also usually the, 
when the cows go out to pasture the first couple weeks after out of the barns, there's about two weeks of milk that makes some of the best cheese. It just, I don't know if it's the excitement in the milk or they're just chowing down, um, but it makes some pretty special cheeses and butters right after that two week mark. That's an exciting time. I mean, it's so striking when they're bright yellow. It's just so fun to see. And people yeah. are like, wow, what is that? <laughs> and actually people, even our inspectors, she's like, you guys add color to that. I'm like, no, we don't add anything to it. She goes, no, my husband, she swears, you guys add color to it. I was like, no, we don't add anything to it. It's, it's just how it is. Um, but I still get a kick out of it. And then even sampling butter, people are like, you want me just to put this butter in my mouth and just no cracker or nothing? I'm like, yeah, I do it every day. It's okay. I've definitely, uh, like I've done demos with like Vermont creamery and stuff and had butter on the table. And it's always so funny to me. Cause I'm like, you'll eat it on a piece of bread. And like, there's, you don't do anything yeah. to it to put it on a piece of bread, but you still eat it, but it's yeah. no different than a cracker. It's just so funny that people's perception of butter. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially in the morning too, after, I mean, we taste everything that we pack and usually at the end of pack outs, there's a scoop and you take a bite of it and rarely have I ever went back and said, oh my gosh, I can't sell this. It's been, I mean, we've been pretty consistent. So I'd say that's been a plus too, having a good staff, experienced staff for sure. It's just easier to hire people with experience and then start instead of starting all the way over, but they both have their ups and downs for sure. Yeah. So how many cows are on the farm on average? Let's see. I think we have right now, right around 55 or 56 and about half of them in rotation milk so we'll probably have like 22 to 23 milkers at the moment it does change every week um i personally just run the creamery side we have another manager at the dairy who runs the cow side the fields <clears throat> the feed um the fencing and all that stuff so we kind of work in unison because <clears throat> we have a kind of a skeleton crew and we can't miss our mark very often so we just kind of say we don't want to miss and, you know, we give it our best go and, um, hope, you know, everybody's happy with their schedules. No one gets sick. And, um, you know, we hit our orders. There's nothing worse than over promising somebody or having an order come in and then you have to call somebody and say, Oh my gosh, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't fill your order. It's just a bad feeling. So we just try to make sure that we're on the same page, even though sometimes we don't cross paths with all the employees at the time, just in communication and, you know, keeping people happy and not missing orders. Can you walk me through what a day looks like on a butter making day, like the process? Cause I don't know if a lot of people really understand the full process of a butter make. Yeah. So we, so it usually takes about wait, uh, two days worth of milk we capture and then we'll uh, pump it over from the creamery or from the parlor to the creamery. This is about at four o'clock in the morning and pasteurize the milk. And then we'll run it through the separator. It takes about uh, 45 minutes to get the full run of milk through there. And then we'll culture it or chill it, culture it and chill it overnight to get it dropped down to about 39 to 40 degrees temperature. You want those cold temperatures. And then the following day, we'll have the butter churn ready to go. Make sure the room is warm. Um, that helps encouraging the butter to break. But once you get the uh, cream in the churn, you want to fill it. We have a 60 gallon butter churn and we typically fill it at about 30 to 35. You want to leave it some, a lot of, I like to leave more space in there because you want that impaction and basically smacking against the inside of those walls to create that air to make the uh, butter uh, 
exchange basically happen and, and work. Um, so I get there at four, cream goes in there, say <clears throat> 4.30. Usually it breaks about 55 minutes on the nose, but it's usually like 55 minutes plus or minus 20 minutes. And you can start to see the butter start to break because there's a sight glass on the stainless steel barrel. Um, so you don't have to stop and pop the hatch every time you can see it from a distance. And so it'll break <clears throat> and then I'll let it go for another 15 to 20 minutes uh, to make sure that all the buttermilk is out of, most of the buttermilk is out of the slurry. And then we put a screen in the, in the barrel of the buttermaker and we screen off all the buttermilk into buckets. And we sell that to um, Daru Catering in Kirkland. They buy probably almost all of our buttermilk for frostings, cakes, icings, um, soaking chicken, what you name it, all this other stuff, all these other goodies that I have no idea what they do with. Um, so then we'll capture that and then we'll rinse the butter. We always rinse with cold water and then uh, tumble it for like another 10 seconds, rinse it off. And then after that part, it's just about tumbling, let it rinse, tumbling, let it rinse. Um, and it usually takes another, about another hour, hour and 15 minutes. So you're looking about two hour, two and a half hours total time from <clears throat> cream in to basically pack outs and packing tubs, or if you're packing wheels for uh, bulk customers. Um, and then sometimes we'll pull off some for clarified butter or ghee that will make the following day or that day. Um, but we've been typically been around 40 pounds to 50 pounds of butter a make. So 80 to 100 pounds a week right now, which doesn't seem like much, but when you have to pack them into four ounce tubs, but if you're by yourself, it's like, oh my gosh, what did I get into? This is a lot. So it never ends. It never ends. So yeah, it's, I mean, you hear about these other stories and like uh, machines, like uh, fully automated butter making machines, they cost 10 million bucks installed in Norway somewhere. And I mean, it probably, you just pour in the cream, push a button and out comes this pretty little paper wrapped piece of butter that is probably pretty tasty, but um, a machine makes it. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, I've seen the process of you guys and it's very hands-on from start to finish. Yeah. So. yeah. And trial and error and just doing it day to day in and day out for year after year. It's kind of like the story of Jade. Like you see it so often. And then like, when you see a mistake, you just know like, okay, something is funky with this. And usually you can tell making butter is in the byproduct or in the buttermilk. It's like, it'll be very, I would, uh, overly soured or hot or a um, little thicker. And it's like, okay, did I overculture? Do I need to be culturing this cream right now? Do I even have to? So some weeks, like you can just tell either the structure of the cows, if there's a, a, a cold snap that comes through, like this week, we've had a, a lot of cold weather, like 31, 32. <clears throat> the yields go down for sure with the cold weather. And then sometimes the science in the cream or the milk is just off and you just know in the result after you make it after the fact and you just try to troubleshoot backwards well how did that happen usually you don't figure it out but you just know okay for the next time what to do so you can salvage something or make it better or just learn from it um, yeah that's uh, that's like so sad to get to that point and be like oh well yeah you just waste about your time basically but yeah, yeah there's it's always a sad day when you're throwing stuff out if you have to but it's few and far between actually this year or last year we only had to dump milk just at the last, um, when we had our last cold freeze. So that was a, that was pretty good because sometimes schedules don't align or things break down, your boiler's down and the milk just sits there. If you don't have someone to come pick it up or a pig farmer, blah, blah, blah. But 
um, yeah, those, hopefully those days are gone <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. We've definitely had, uh, some extreme weather, uh, mm-hmm. here in Washington state over the last year. How did the, how did the make schedule work during our extreme heat that we had? Cause we had a 108 degree day, um, last summer. So how did, how was that? So for you guys? We, that actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that was a, um, a problem for us actually on Megan's bloomy cheeses. I mean, taken care of in the refrigerator, it just zapped the cheeses, dried them out. And we've never had that before, ha- ever had that happen in the past, even on hot days, muggy days. <clears throat> and our room would be overly um, high moisture. And then it just wouldn't leave. And it would just dilapidate all the bloomies way too early. Sometimes or they either would melt them right away or they would dry them out. And it happened twice. So we did have to get rid of some of those a few times, um, but it usually affected the soft, sensitive cheeses mostly. So for anything fresh, it's going to be kind of a question mark sometimes, or you know what you know, but until you make it, you know, you find out differently sometimes. Yeah, we're keeping our fingers crossed for a more moderate year in weather. (laughs) I don't know. It's been so wacky. but Out here, it's kind of its own ecosystem, too. It's so foggy in the morning. You can barely see, you know, hundreds of feet. And then by three o'clock, it kind of burns off and the sun comes out. But it's still, well, this week, it's still 31 degrees and the sun's out by three o'clock. Yeah, we're getting that in the city, too. It's been interesting waking up in the morning and looking outside and being like, wow, it's really foggy out. That's not normal for us. (laughs) Um, All right. So obviously, COVID. It's been a thing for the last couple of years. So how has that uh, affected the dairy and what you guys are doing? Uh, well, when it broke in 2000, was it 19? <clears throat> I mean, we flinched for a couple of weeks, kind of like everybody else. And then it was just like, okay, you know, kind of game on. Let's just go with what we're doing. Who's going to be on board? And a lot of it was relied on deliveries. <clears throat> and we found a lot of new customers that came out of the woodwork who had lived within miles distance from us. We're like, I didn't even know you guys were here for, you know, blah, 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 such and such years. And so actually it brought out a lot of new customers and we actually kind of had a swell in business for a while um, just because people were kind of panicky and like, well, who can really feed me if the internet breaks or who can feed me if the stores are empty? And so I think it really made people kind of wake up and go, oh, wow, okay, who can I rely on? And it was nice to see that people would come out and be like, yeah, we could feed you if if you have to. And, you know, and then we'd heard their story and everybody has a cheese story or a dairy story, especially in a small town. So we made some new friends and customers through the time. But then you'd also hear the the restaurants. If you look at our customer list from 2019 compared to our customer list from 2021, it's almost like cut in half. But we mostly went through two local small distributors. And a lot of those, the restaurants, because they didn't know if they were going to be open the following month. Like I could tell that somebody would make a big order and then the next something would happen. I was like, oh my gosh, they're not even eating the stuff that I sold them. How, what a bad, how a tough situation to be in for a restaurant owner and people that own multiple restaurants were just collapsing down to one and laying people off. And it was just like, oh my gosh, and it's happening right in front of your eyes. And it just became normal. It was an odd feeling. Yeah, that's a very odd feeling. And you guys started a farm, like, did you guys have the farm pickup before COVID happened? Or was that like kind of as a direct result? That was actually, it, it, it 
in, it helped it along. I think we had started it just prior to, and then it was Megan or Bree at the time. We're just like, hey, let's just set this up. And it works. People were excited just to, at any hour of the day, come by because everyone has different schedules. They don't want to show up at seven o'clock in the morning to pick up something that costs 15 bucks. So they would, you know, they just wait. And it was, it worked out. And actually we're working on <clears throat> maybe having ourselves a, a vending machine that's more automated to for choices. So you can just walk up and purchase things. So we're still trying to mull that over with a space. And then, um, well, then you'd be taking care of a machine too that sells your stuff too. So it's like, you be careful what you wish for kind of thing. So that might be on the horizon actually coming soon. That would be cool. I'm, I, I would be into that. I'm like so into just going. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it with, I mean, obviously with snacks and things, I saw it with meats and I think I saw it one time with cheeses somewhere. I can't remember where I was traveling. It's like, that's a good idea. And people use it. It's convenient. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I mean, I think that it also is probably beneficial too that you guys have such a small team that you're able to, everybody was able to kind of like stay safe within yeah. their realms and not really affect everybody else. Yeah. And that was, yeah. I mean, we work in an open air environment still, but we our schedule right now. So we're actually not even crossing paths maybe once a week with employees right now, just out of concern. And um, just new, Megan, they just had a new baby. So I'm happy they got a new schedule. That's a real, that's the real job is taking care of a child, you know, going to work, making cheese is a vacation compared to doing all that other stuff. So um, we're, I'm, I'm excited about the schedule. I have first time in my life, I have a split schedule. So I work Monday, Tuesday, have Wednesday off today and then back Thursday, Friday, and then have two days off, but it's convenient and I'm getting older. So I don't mind the extra rest day in between. It's kind of nice because keeping up that cheesemaker pace is tough. I, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, one of our other things about Cherry Valley, we try to limit as much plasticky waste and being thoughtful and being stewards, you know, it's hard to, you have to take an extra step to go and, you know, make that part of your regime. But it's, uh, it's, I think it's necessary because everyone just makes a mess, throws stuff in the garbage and doesn't even think about it twice. It's just gone and out of, out of sight. Well, also it raises the cost of what you guys do too, because those, the eco, um, cups and all of those sort of things they yeah. just cost more money yeah and we've noticed that too actually there's been two shortages for mason jars and so i've had to buy backup uh like plastic juice containers for creams and things um from uline just because the supply chains are empty for i don't have a vessel to put this stuff in and so it makes you kind of panic and go oh my gosh i better buy a ton of these now why i see them and hopefully that they don't run out and that's happened twice the people when you go into the hardware store, they think you're crazy. You're loading up like 15 mason jar things. Like, what are you doing, buddy? I'm like, <clears throat> I work for a creamery. I don't know what to tell you, but it's, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> those sort of things you don't really think about until you're the one dealing with it. <laughs> yeah, or you just, you got, you got the jars and you don't have the lids and then you're calling somebody for lids and, and it's just like, oh my gosh, this is, yeah, you don't know. It's kind of a, you got to stay ahead of your, of your problems or so you don't miss otherwise you don't want to miss your orders so yeah um so obviously you make butter um 
and you mentioned Megan's uh, Bloomy style. What kind of, what cheeses and whatnot are you guys making fully? Like, what does your full lineup look like? Okay, so we've got um, our soft cheeses, uh, fromage blanc, flavored fromage blancs, uh, Megan's Bloomy Rind Cheese, Metal Bloom, um, our butters, flavored butters. Um, we've also been making a bandage wrap cheddar that I've been hiding for like months in the aging room because if I, I don't want to release it to the grocery stores because it'll be gone like in a month and so we've just been um, cutting it for our local vendors um, it's really good I don't think there's any there's only a few bandage wrapped cheddar cheesemakers right now and just because it's hard to sit on your money that long to earn, to turn a dollar around but it's super good it's probably one of the best cheeses I made in a long time um, so hopefully soon that'll be released um, what else our ghee clarified butter um, so there's been like about 10 or 12 in rotation, but we, oh, and Fern's Feta, that's another Megan cheese that she's been making. Um, and they'll sell really well. We haven't had any waste of actually really throwing things out except for the dump in the milk the one time. And we don't, I mean, we don't make as much as you would think. I mean, the world's a big place. It's hard. There's a lot of mouths to feed and we could make more. It's just, it's kind of a double-edged sword. How far do you want to go? How much more do you want to spend to to earn this and also there's also a cost associated with all the stuff that you earn too but it's nice to have that nice cheddar cheese value at the end of those 12 months when it comes and actually it's such a small format i can i mean i sell it at like seven months even though it's not technically a cheddar cheese it's so small that it has those same features and so um but that hasn't been an issue really but it's still tasty and looking forward to releasing that one um and then maybe one day I just want to make one large format cheese, just like a 65 pound, just haymaker of a cheese and just use all the courage, go into one hoop and just call it a day. It'd be nice. Dry salt it, bandage wrap it. And then you'd have, you know, you could fill up your aging room in a month and then the rest of your years, you could just do your soft cheeses and kind of float around those, the aging of the uh, hard cheeses. Well, you know, Andy Hatch does a, uh big format like a couple big format cheeses every year on for like his kids' birthdays and whatnot okay. so he there's always like one or two just kind of like hanging out in the awesome. <laughs> in the aging room yeah there was i think well there was another company and i don't want to say it was like hennings or somebody still makes them they're like hundreds of pounds like yeah hennings does the mammoth cheddar the big ones it, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's and hey that's a cheesemaker and it's awesome one hoop you know Done and done. <laughs> uh -huh. I mean, then you have to buy a knife or make a knife to cut it. <laughs> yeah, you have to figure that part out. That's a whole yeah, thing. Right? <laughs> so funny. Do you guys also sell fluid milk too sometimes? We do for walk-up uh, folks. We do have accounts like our Canlis account will orders weekly cream or creams and milk. And then we have some local vendors that just, they'll buy 95 bucks worth of milk every week. And I've, I hadn't seen the person for like, almost two years. And I was like, what do you do with the milk? She goes, Oh, I drink it. And I was like, okay. You know, it was just, they used it for everyday usage. And I was like, man, it's a lot of milk for a week be taken down. But, um, it's been, it's, well, let's see cream for sure. Or milk for sure. Buttermilk every once in a while, but quarts of cream, we get quarts of cream orders all week for people to either ice cream or personal use. Um, I mean, I've, I've been privy to those quarts of cream and I have never felt more fancy in my life than, uh, 
even it's, though it just comes in a mason jar it's not like it comes in anything like super fancy or anything but still it's just like so delicious and perfect for my coffee in the morning yeah it's velvety it's um you know we people just they can't say enough with just about the milk quality that they just I don't know. They look like a little kid when they start talking about it and just, they love it. It's like something they hadn't tasted before. So it's, <clears throat> it feels good to have the compliments, you know, here and there, but there's a lot of work behind all that stuff too. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm a fan. I'm always out there. Whenever any cheese people come into town, I'm like, come on, let's go to Cherry Valley. <laughs> a short field trip. Yeah. Now that you know that I live on the side hill, you can just knock on my door and I walk you guys down there. It's not a yeah, problem at all. I'm glad. Yeah, we haven't had the tours that haven't been around actually for the well since COVID. We haven't had any tours, but if it's just friends and family, we, that's not a problem. You guys can come out anytime you want. I'll show you around. Um, all right. I have my three common questions that I ask everyone. Yep. You ready? Oh, gosh. Yep. Your current cheese crush. As in cheese that I love the most. Sure. However you want to take that question. Cause I had someone like, like who in the like, industry I'm crushing on. <laughs> like, I'm like, however you want to take that question. That's up to you. How much you want to put yourself out there. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I would be a sucker for something like rogue river blue. I'm a, I like salty blue cheeses for sure. Um, I do like the Cascadia products they've been making their blue cheese is super good. Um, any sort of salty blue or Stilton I'll take to the bank any day. Perfect. Uh, favorite cheese pairing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can make a half a wheel of brie disappear, no problem. Or sometimes the full wheel, just eating it as for lunch. Um, but actually, we've been putting, we just got a new, we got some microgreens and things. So we've been making different like hors d'oeuvres and things with these different microgreens. It's like baby arugula or baby spinach. And they're just the tiniest little accent to the cheese, which has been helpful. Um, that sounds delightful. A nice, like kind of little earthy yeah it Earthy goes kick to go with the buttery yep completely delightful. affordable and it's awesome presentation and you can turn any like leftovers or anything into some uh, awesome meal it looks really good um top food memory and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a meal that you ate just more of like um a time where you know like if you were cooking I, with your mom or you know i honestly would think to my grandma's house she would all she grew or in ronald washington in the roslyn areas where my family was from originally and so and my family's croatian and yugoslavian and i would go into these houses and these people would be speaking all these crazy languages to me as a kid and then making me try all these foods and things that i wasn't really into but i just remember the back my grandma was always cooking um, I was never full enough. Are you hungry? Do you want more kind of grandma? Um, and she basically was a matriarch of our family and taught all of us kids how to, how to cook and, you know, at least make us participate. She always made us participate, at least even if it was for one thing. Um, so that would be definitely the memory of making anything from like popcorn balls to soup to anything. She made so many treats, um, everything from scratch, um, never spent a dime or a dollar in her life on anything else except just basic living. Just a great lady. That's perfect. I mean, I feel like as a kid, there are a few things better than getting to enjoy cooking with your mom or grandma and being able to like lick the spoons afterwards. And like those treats just taste so much better. 
Yeah. And we're trying to pass the torch to you. And our daughter, she likes to cook. She's been, she bakes a lot. Um, she's got a, a lot of sweet treat cookbooks, making donuts. I think it was our last project she did with Girl Scouts. Um, so yeah, she, I mean, it's kind of scary to think about like, oh, here's this child. Like, are they going to be able to cook on their own? Are they going to just go for the easy stuff? Or are they going to take the time and cook the good stuff? And, you know, you just hope you send them off with the right, you know, information. Um, so what does the future look like in your eyes for Cherry Valley? And what are you working on? Is there anything exciting happening? We're uh, definitely going to work on a different, uh, to fill in some sales from last, um, like I said, from like 2018 sales report to, 2021 customer sales report just thickening that back up again um reaching out to just some of our local customers who had been there before who fall off sometimes and it just happens people will use stuff for a while and then either forget to come back or they just have to be reminded you'd be surprised how many times you have to remind chefs to go and like hey i'm here you guys want to order and that's just part of it but uh yeah, thickening up our sales for sure. I mean, always cutting costs. Um, um, we're also working on a project for our manure management and some water salvage projects, which are big, big projects that I'm not in charge of, but I'm still an earshot away and hear about. And basically it's just um, making sure our, either getting some fuel or some monetary trade out of the manure and or um, the water usage that comes off the, the roofs. I mean, it rains out here like Vietnam. It's crazy how much water just runs. It cuts down your driveway. And before you know it, your driveway has a, a, a cut, like a river valley cut into it because of how much water just goes down the side hills. I mean, because we are, Cherry Valley is on a, that's a classic side hill dairy. We're actually on a 60 foot rise compared to the basin of the valley. So it's, the water just goes right through the property and, under it sometimes and yeah we're getting a new roof uh, put on here shortly and keeping the cows warm i mean most people think the cows get cold out in the weather but i mean they're they're fine they got a thick coat their body temps like 102 or 103 so they can take that 30 or 40 degree temp it's when the cows get wet is the problem and then it gets cold so you got to keep them covered um so yeah a few new structures some sales and then just keeping our hitting our mark and not missing any orders just our day-to-day -day, focus on the day-to-day -day. and usually the other stuff takes care of itself not always but um just keep working hard and making it good stuff yeah um well thank you so much for joining me and talking to me about butter because yeah. i love y'all's butter it's one of my favorite things well i'm glad that you got a hold of us and anytime so glad that I get to take advantage of on a regular basis. It also doesn't hurt that I love their delicious products so much. Thanks to Blaine and the Cherry Valley crew for continuing to be a great steward for the land while providing delectable dairy products. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha. Thank you to Ben Muha for allowing me to use your music. Follow along on my cheesy adventures at Instagram, Facebook, or get more content on Patreon. My website is also a great hub for all of my goings on. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep spreading the word of good courage.